0: Well, grab your Bible. We're in the book of Titus. The book of Titus. If you find First and Second Timothy, it comes just after Second Timothy. If you make it to Philemon or if you make it to Hebrews, <clears throat> then you've gone too far. The book of Titus. Uh, we are still in the introductory words of the Apostle Paul. And here's what I want to do over the next couple of weeks. I just want to give you a broad brushstroke of this introductory section. It is one of Paul's testament. But it's one of the longest introductions that we have in all Paul's writings. One of his shortest books, but one of his longest introductions in all of his writings. Now, why might that be? And I mentioned a couple of these things a few weeks back, but let me repeat them. Sometimes uh, these introductions get lengthy for a number of reasons. One reason is when Paul wrote, you wouldn't write a letter and sign your name at the end of it and give your signature, give your seal just necessarily at the end. In Paul's day, you would... Right up front, you would tell the reader who is sending the letter. And you did that for a couple reasons. You did it, number one, so that the reader would know who it's coming from. But not just that, who the, so that they would know the authority from which it comes. And so oftentimes you get, even in this case and other cases in the New Testament, you get the author saying, here's who I am, but more than just my name, here are my credentials. And you get them expounding upon their own authority Given by God, so that they can go on in the letter and say everything that they're going to say, expecting that you're going to listen because of their credentials. Does that make sense? And so that's what Paul does often. Now, most of the time, we get about two phrases of this introduction from Paul Paul, an apostle, commissioned by God. And he goes on. That's usually it. And he has this. Few different ways that he normally pens that, but most of the time it's just a couple phrases and he goes on. Well, this one, check this out. I'm going to read you these four verses. We're only going to get uh, through verse one today, but I'm going to read you these first four because they're one sentence. It's one long hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago, but at the proper time manifested, even his word, in the proclamation with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child, in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Ah, Now take a breath. That was one big, giant sentence of Paul's introduction. Alright? Another reason why you would give a long introduction, a long greetings, is not only to express your own authority, but sometimes you had to do it to express the authority to which the person you are writing has. So Paul is addressing this to Titus. And basically he's saying, all authority that I have as Paul, an apostle, and a bondservant. I'm putting upon Titus, who's going to lead you in everything I'm going to teach you in the rest of this letter. And so he says, to my true son, my true child in the faith, Titus. So he's putting his authority not only out there of himself, but he's pouring it upon Titus as well. So that everybody there in Crete who's going to read this letter will know that Titus has been granted the same authority that Paul has. There's another reason you would do this. And Paul loves to do this in his greetings. He loves to give us hints and clues as to the content of the rest of the letter. What do I mean by that? In these elaborate greetings, even the short greetings, Paul mixes them up. But if you pay close attention, they're not just, hey, how you doing type greetings. They're greetings where he uses specific wording, specific phrases. And those phrases, that wording often... Leads us to clues as to what the rest of the letter is going to be about. So if it's going to be a positive letter, he's going to start off positive. It's going to be a. uh, So oftentimes, you're going to get a number of clues right up front as to what the rest of the book is going to be about. So this is an elaborate, deep, uh, sometimes convoluted with all these prepositional phrases. Trying to understand them is difficult. This morning, I just want to give you a broad brushstroke of the rest of verse 1. I've already showed you in the last couple weeks, we've looked at, uh, in Paul's greetings, we've looked at the man, Paul himself. And we've talked about uh, these things that Paul has called himself. Number one, he called himself a slave or a bondservant. It expressed his attitude, his humility towards God, and his service towards God. It was an expression of him saying, you know what, everything about my life I give over to this God. He is worth it. He is a good master, and just like a bondservant, in Paul's day and time uh, in the secular world would decide that he is going to stay with his master even after after he's been freed that bond servant could say I'm going to stay with this master because life in bondage to this master is better than a life that I could provide for myself out on my own being free and Paul takes that and he equates it to the spiritual realm he says that's how I feel towards God my life is much better off being a servant to God than out on my own trying to find my own way he says I'm a I'm a humble slave of the king. That's Paul's attitude. That's the man's attitude. And then he went on to say, I'm also an apostle. He told us about his attitude and he told us about his authority. He was one of the called out apostles. You bow the knee and God sends you out. You fall down at his feet and he'll pick you up and say, go for me here. He was a messenger. He was a delegate of God. His attitude and his authority is what he showed us. That's the man. This morning I want to talk to you about, not the man, but I want to talk to you about the mission that the man had. The mission. Finish verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now we're going to get two phrases here that are Paul's mission in life. Now look up at me here a second. What is your... That was good. You guys popped up. (laughs) Down. What is your mission in life? Think about this before we get into Paul's words. What about you? What about you? Now, before reading it, what do you expect the Apostle Paul's mission in life is going to be? What do you think this guy is going to spend his life on? What do you think a bondservant and a messenger is going to spend and invest his life in? Check it out. For the faith of those chosen of God and for the knowledge of the truth which is according to godliness. What is Paul about? What is his mission? What is his purpose? What is he for in life? What is the Apostle Paul, the humble servant and the messenger sent by God? What is he for? What is he investing his life in What is he going to spend every ounce of energy he's got on? I'll tell you where I'm going to invest and spend all my energy. Number one, he says, for the faith of those chosen of God. Very simply, in a broad brush stroke, that's evangelism. It's what we call evangelism. Paul is going to spend his life. For the faith of those that God would call out for his own namesake, for his own glory. Paul is going to spend his life on the faith of those who would know the same king that Paul, the humble servant and the messenger of, knows. It makes sense, doesn't it? I mean it makes sense the guy who would say from the right off the bat that I am a slave to my master and I'm a messenger of this King, what am I going to spend my life on? I'm going to spend my life telling other people, building up the faith of others so that they know the same King, so that they're just as humbled. Amen? Purpose, part A for Paul. What is he going to spend his life on? Evangelism. Part two, he says... Not just for the faith of those chosen of God, but for the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness. Part B of Paul's life purpose, his mission. You can say it's edification. Part A, evangelism. Part B, edification. Or if you like, discipleship in that faith. Evangelism, discipleship. Making disciples, maturing disciples. Their faith. And their knowledge of that truth. That word knowledge, it's the word epignosis. It's the word that means full knowledge, complete knowledge, true knowledge, not just random, run of the mill, everyday knowledge that the people in Crete were used to getting. He says, This is the real deal, the truth. He says, I'm going to spend my life taking believers, bringing them to the feet of God, causing them to be his children through faith, and then I'm going to take them and I'm going to invest my life in their knowledge of his truth, which is according to godliness. That's what I'm going to spend my life on. So in this greeting, what does Paul want us to know about us? The man, he's humble, he's a bond servant of God, he's totally committed to God. He's a messenger sent by God, commissioned by God. He's a missionary in our terminology. And when you ask him, what is your life going to be about, Paul, my life, he says before the first verse is over is going to be spent on the faith of the chosen of God and their edification, raising them men and women up, in the truth, the full knowledge of his truth, which is according to godliness. You know what does uh, this first verse sound like? Think about it. What does this first verse sound like to you? It sounds like three things to me in Scripture. Number one, Preston uh, alluded to it earlier. It sounds to me a lot like Isaiah 6. The life of Paul, like Isaiah 6. Go ahead and turn there. I wasn't going to have you do it, but since we talked about it twice, we've got to look real quick. Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, lofty, exalted upon his throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Got there yet? Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their what? Eyes. Imagery showing that they could not even look upon the holiness of God. With two wings, they covered their feet, Scripture says. Most commentators believe that that reference to these uh, angelic beings covering their feet is, uh, is a kind way of saying that they were covering their private parts much like Adam and Eve covered themselves in the presence of God once they realized their inadequacy. Most commentators believe that these angels are covering their eyes. I can't even look upon the holiness of this God. They're covering their privates, saying, we are like Isaiah. We'll say here in just a moment, we're undone, we're incomplete, we're insufficient. We don't want God to look upon our shame. He is holy and we are not, is the bottom line. That's what these angelic beings are doing. We get a good clue from them. And with two they flew. Verse 3, And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? If this were in the Greek, it would be apostolos. Who would be my apostle? Who will go and be a messenger, a delegate, on my behalf? Who will go for us? Then Isaiah said... Here am I, send me. Here's why the Apostle Paul reminds me of Isaiah 6. Here's why Titus 1.1 1, 1 reminds me of Isaiah 6. You get the Apostle Paul who number one says, I'm a humble servant of the king. My life is better off in his hands than in my very own. I'm his messenger. I'm a delegate. I carry not my own words, but I carry his. I'm telling his story. My life is going to be spent on two things, if you want to know. My life is going to be spent on the faith of those who would come to know, by grace, their king. And my life will be spent on growing those men and women up in the true knowledge of that faith. That's what I'm going to spend my life on. And here's what I know about the Apostle Paul. And here's what we can gather from even this very first verse. Like Isaiah, at some point in Paul's life, and we know it well, the road to Damascus... He runs in to the holy God, and his life is forever changed. Isaiah sees God in all of his grandeur, and all of his holiness. And he says, like Isaiah, Woe is me. I'm undone. He turns his life over to God, and now his life is not his own, his life is for the king. His life is then in God's hands. And when God says Who will go for us? Whom can we send? Paul is there, just like Isaiah, ready to say, Here I am. Now that you've cleansed me, send me. I'm ready to go. Humility? Messenger. What am I going to spend my life on? I'm going to give it all to God. And I'm going to be about the business that God is in the business of. Calling His chosen people out for His own glory. Raising them up in the full knowledge of His truth, which is according to Godliness, that's what Paul is going to spend his life on. Listen, because Paul has seen God, he has turned over his life, aptly understanding that he has been bought with a price, and that his life, not just his Sundays, his life, is not his own. It belongs humbly and lovingly to another. Therefore, Paul is for. Paul is for, whatever God is for. I, uh, as I've been going through this, and I've been thinking a lot about the Apostle Paul, uh, part of this is conviction. Part of it's uh, serving God and doing what God is doing, not doing what I'm doing, and letting God join in with what I want to do. I mean, does that ever happen to you, that when you see men and women in the Bible like the Apostle Paul who are totally abandoned. You you start to ask yourself, how do I get out of that? I mean, what is it about the day and time that we live, the life that I live, that allows me not to be as fully committed as Paul is? And really, I I can't come up with a good reason, guys. I can't come up with a good excuse. I mean, you know, we've got things that are different these days. I mean, we've got Target, we've got uh, iTunes, we've got... um, TV, we've got radio, we've got cars, we've got airplanes, we can go places, we can do stuff. Maybe we just have more to do than Paul had to do. You know, Maybe Paul just had nothing else to do but serve the Lord. And so he says, well, I might as well serve God. you think that's it. But there is some truth to the fact that we do have things. And isn't it amazing how those things just grab our life and swallow it up? And say, this is what our life is going to be about. And totally rob us of being able to give anything near what Paul gave. You know what else this passage, Titus one, reminds me of? It reminds me of Isaiah 6. It also reminds me of Matthew 28. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Turn there. I want you to see this. Many of you could quote it. Paul's life, Titus 1.1, 1, 1, is the great commission in his own life. Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What is that? That's evangelism. Jesus, what do you want us to spend our life doing? Go. Evangelize. What else? Verse 20. Teaching them. Don't just stop at making the disciple. We have further responsibility with them. Verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Evangelism and discipleship. You know what else it reminds me of? It reminds me of... Our purpose here at Cornerstone, and thank God it does. Because if it didn't, we'd have to change our purpose. That we are, first and foremost, totally, wholeheartedly committed to following our God. Amen? Purpose part one for Cornerstone Church follow God. Purpose on this end free the world. Take a humble, messenger of God have him committed to what God is committed to the faith of his chosen and then raise those men and women up this is worth noting about Paul's purpose in life number one this purpose is not his own it's not of his own creation this purpose this second half of verse 1 Titus 1 It's not a purpose of his own creation. We like to formulate our own purposes in life, don't we? We like to formulate our own mission in life. Paul's mission, his purpose is not his own. It's also bigger than he is. Paul's mission, Paul's purpose is bigger than he is. Now listen to me, because I think this might catch some of us. This might be a turning point for some of us that, that in all of our humanity we've never thought this high, this lofty, this big. Paul's mission in life is bigger than he is. Paul's life will be spent and invested in something that is greater than he could ever achieve on his own. Something grander than he could ever come up with on his own. You'll never, ever, ever find anything. Young people especially, listen to me. You'll never find anything worth giving your life completely and fully to that will match what we've seen here in Titus one one. Amen? If you find it, tell us. We'll all go spend our life on it and be better off. It's not out there. This is is our greatest joy. It is the only thing. that. This is why even the lost world finds a little bit of satisfaction being involved in something that's a little bit bigger than themselves. Giving to a charity, being involved in an organization, volunteering a little bit. They get a glimpse of the holy. They get a glimpse in life of the divine calling for us to be part of something that is bigger than ourselves. It's just a glimpse. though. Number three, Paul's mission, his purpose in life, It's not about Him or His success, but about God and others. Amen? Now, is that true all the time, most of the time, some of the time, about our missions in life, about our purposes in life, about our five-year plan, about our ten-year plan? Is that often true about us? No, I'm afraid it's not. Most of the time, the things that we invest our life in, the things that we spend our life on are things that directly are going to benefit us they're about us Paul is giving his life his mission in life is not about him or his success do you see that it's about something that is totally outside of himself finally uh, Paul's mission is biblically complete and comprehensive He doesn't just make disciples, but he sticks around to mature them, a lesson that uh, many of our churches uh, need to improve upon. Paul spends and invests his life on something eternal. But this morning, just asking ourselves, what what is it we are spending our lives on is probably enough for us. Can we rationalize our way out? Can we justify our own way out of saying, we've got other things to do, Paul. I mean, we've got, we've got other stuff going on. I mean, this is America. There's a, there's a lot to do. There's a lot we could do. There's a lot to see. Don't don't dupe yourself, folks. Instead, why don't you just this week take some time and sit in the presence of God and say, God, how can I get out of this and see if he'll let you? He hasn't let me yet. I'm curious if he's going to let you. Listen to some of these quotes of other men and women who have been single-minded servants like the Apostle Paul. I cared not where or how I lived or what hardships I went through so that I could but gain souls for Christ. While I was asleep, I dreamed of these things. And when I awoke, the first thing I thought of was this great work, David Brainerd, Lord, give me Scotland or give me death, John Knox. God, the sin of this city is breaking my heart, Samuel Hadley. Lord, give me souls. Henry Martin on the shores of India. I must, I must open a way to the interior or perish. David Livingston, missionary to Africa, who, by the way, died there. I feel as if I could not live if something is not done for China. Hudson Taylor. I would rather win souls than be the greatest king or emperor on earth. I would rather win souls than be the greatest general that ever commanded an army. I would rather win souls than be the greatest poet, novelist, or literary man who ever walked the earth. My one ambition in life is to win as many souls as possible. oratory. What is it that makes the Apostle Paul and men and women like this so committed to the mission? Next week, we're going to talk about their motive. Let's pray.